Hello, friends. This week's episode of the Golf Guide podcast is proudly presented by Golf Guide Magazine, the West Coast's number one printed golf course directory. Golf Guide Magazine provides information on every golf course in California, Nevada, and Oregon. And starting in 2019, Golf Guide will be expanding to include the states of Washington and Hawaii. So just to clarify, that means with Golf Guide Magazine, you have a resource where you can find information on every single golf course, both public and private, in every state in the U.S. that touches the Pacific Ocean, plus the glorious adult playground that is the state of Nevada. So where can you find a Golf Guide Magazine? Well, Golf Guide is available at over a 1,000 golf courses across the western United States and is also available at over a hundred golf retail shops like your golf marts, your PGA superstores, golf galaxies, what have you, and also available at over a hundred high-end hotels in major metropolitan areas across the western United States. So pick up a Golf Guide magazine and help us help you find the golf you need. All right, let's get into it, everybody. Kyle Serlo here with another delightful and glorious episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. Very happy that you are joining me for this week. Uh, as we've uh, become accustomed to over the past couple of months, uh, this is going to be another tight, concise episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. We have a couple of items regarding the PGA Tour, the FedEx Cup playoffs, and the Ryder Cup to hit, and then uh, a couple other additional news items before we put a wrap on this podcast. So let's start out with some news regarding the PGA Tour. And uh, we start with Keegan Bradley winning the BMW Championship on Monday, defeating Justin Rose uh, for his first victory of the season. Uh, Justin Rose had this tournament won, uh, but decided to finish bogey-bogey um, to relinquish the title to Keegan Bradley. Uh, but... Don't feel too bad for Justin Rose because his second place finish has elevated him to the number one spot in the official world golf rankings. Something uh, Justin is, uh, you know, has now accomplished for the first time in his career, which is really, really awesome. Uh, you know, Justin Rose has been one of the, you know, one of professional golf's most consistent players uh, for almost two decades, and certainly the past couple of years has been, you know seemingly in the mix for every single significant golf tournament that he participates in. So very cool for Justin Rose to now be the number one ranked player in the world. And he will have a great shot of winning the tour championship, which will be taking place in a couple of weeks at Eastlake uh, as one of the 30 participants in that golf tournament. Uh, someone who will not be participating in that tournament is Mr. Jordan Spieth. The golden boy himself missed the cut line of 30 players to go to the tour championship. Um, but don't, don't feel too bad for Jordan. He is still um, scheduled to participate in the 2018 Ryder Cup at Le Golf National in France. Um, and we're going to dive a little bit more into the Ryder Cup teams here in just a moment. So uh, don't feel too bad for Jordan. He is still playing in the Ryder Cup, but you will not find him at Eastlake here in a couple of short weeks. And now let, let's, you know, let's actually discuss the most important thing, you know, basically related to professional golf right now. And that is the Ryder Cup, one of the most enjoyable tournaments that fans get to watch. Uh, I would assume that it's one of the 
most awesome events to participate in as a player, but seeing as how my, you know, artificially inflated eight handicap is not going to get me anywhere near, um, you know, getting to hit a golf ball at the Ryder Cup, my press credential may be able to get me inside the ropes at some point, but uh, I certainly am not going to be competing in any sense. But, uh, you know, overall, from the players to the spectators to the people watching on TV, um, the, the Ryder Cup is certainly one of the very best events in golf. Um, and obviously, you know, happening every other year and then flip-flopping between Europe and the United States. Uh, we had Hazeltine a couple of years ago, and now we will go to France to play the Ryder Cup later this month. And the teams are now finalized, all right? As uh, last week, Captain Jim Furyk, <laughs> I hope I'm getting that right, yeah, Captain Jim Furyk made his first three captain's picks in Bryson DeChambeau, winner of the first two FedEx Cup playoffs, uh, playoff events. Uh, and he also picked Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, and finally, earlier this week, he made his fourth and final captain's pick of Tony Finau, which completes the uh, team of 12 players. I'll, I'm going to go through this. It's, the teams for this year's Ryder Cup are really, really fascinating. And uh, you could argue that as the year has gone on, the U.S. team seemingly has gotten stronger and stronger. Um, the European team is also quite prolific and really immensely talented and has a great chance to win but uh and any golf fan is certainly going to be picking the united states to win this Ryder cup because of how much talent they have sitting on that team of 12 guys um obviously all four major championship winners from 2018 will be represented in the 2018 Ryder cup francesco molinari is the only european to have won a major this year while uh, Brooks Kepka, you know, winning two tournaments and then Patrick Reed, uh, you know, winning the 2018 Masters are both on the U.S. team. So let's go through both the teams really quickly and just kind of give you an idea of what we're feeling here. Um, obviously, some of the world's top players, uh, you know, are on the United States team. Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, the world's uh, previous two number one ranked players. Uh, you also have, you know, top 10 stalwarts Ricky Fowler, Brooks Kepka. Um, and you know, it, it's oddly enough the the guy I'm least, the, I'm least excited for in the 2018 Ryder cup is Bubba Watson, but yet the guy has won three times in 2018. So you can't really question his place on this team. Uh, and then the other guys on, you know, on the squad include obviously the captain's picks in DeChambeau, Tony Finau, Tiger Woods. And then the little bit of the wild card that gets thrown in here is Mr. Webb Simpson. And, uh, you know, the 2012 U S open champion at Olympic club you think, wow, Webb Simpson on the Ryder Cup team, what's going on? Well, Webb Simpson, if you, lest you forget, did win the fifth most important tournament of 2018 at the Players' Championship. And oh, by the way, I believe Webb Simpson finished in the top 20 in every single major championship in 2018. So he is playing exceptionally good golf. Um, and, and there's a lot of guys on this team that are very much in the mix to be playing five matches at the Ryder Cup. I mean, every single... You know, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you can expect a couple of these guys to be double dipping on Friday and Saturday and having a strong place in the singles on Sunday. Those guys that I'm expecting to see playing a lot of golf throughout the tournament would be Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, and Brooks Kepka. And I'm sure, you know, having played all five matches in 2016, I'll bet you Patrick Reed um, is very much in the mix to be participating in all those matches as well. So um, really, really fun, really exciting team. Um, for the U.S., it, it, it's just going to be really, really awesome. And then as far as Europe is concerned, um, the names certainly aren't quite as recognizable. And, you know, 
in terms of uh, you know global star power. However, the European team arguably has two of the most consistent best golfers in the entire world leading them in Justin Rose and Tommy Fleetwood. As we just mentioned, Justin Rose ranked number one in the world. Tommy Fleetwood, aside from just having an unbelievably uh, beautiful head of hair, is is just an, one of the game's premier ball strikers and uh, is absolutely sensational. And uh, he will, be, and you know, the two of them, the other 10 players on the team, as we mentioned last week, uh, the captain's picks are Paul Casey, Sergio Garcia, Henrik Stenson, and Ian Poulter. So, um, Thomas Bjorn going very veteran heavy um, with his captain's picks. And then, of course, the other members of the team, Tyrell Hatton, who's had a lot of success uh, on the European Tour, Rory McIlroy, Alex Noren, the Swede, who has won a lot of tournaments these past couple of years. Uh, the Danish sensation Thorbjorn Ulsen is also going to be competing. And, oh, by the way, that young Spaniard by the name of John Rahm is also going to be playing for the European team. So the 24 players... Uh, who will be competing in this year's Ryder Cup, they've either got a really big name or they've got a really big game. And uh, that is going to make for a really exciting and just really awesome uh, Ryder Cup. Uh, I guess the only thing that I was thinking of is my biggest takeaway from 2016, the last Ryder Cup that took place, was how much I enjoyed watching Thomas Peters. And uh, he is not going to be uh, on the 2018 Ryder Cup team for Europe. He has struggled mightily. Uh, the past year and a half or so, his game has really kind of fallen off a cliff. He's actually become you know, quite prolific at breaking golf clubs in the middle of matches out of frustration. Um, so it, it's going to be a little bit of a bummer to not see Thomas Peters uh, competing uh, in this year's Ryder Cup. Although he did recently come out with a, uh, I think it was documented in an interview with, I want to say Bunkered Magazine, where he had some thoughts on the 2016 Ryder Cup, where he was an absolute sensation. I mean, anybody who watched that 2016 Ryder Cup uh, that had half a brain came away thinking, damn, Thomas Peters is a goddamn golf savant. So, uh, but he, he definitely had some uh, some choice words, uh, you know, mostly concerning fan comments directed at Rory McIlroy. And I quote uh, from Thomas Peters in that article for Bunkered Magazine, they shouted stuff at him that you shouldn't shout at anybody, anywhere. And maybe that's because they sell beer at 7 a.m. and Americans can't drink. Uh, but to be honest, you really don't hear the words most of the time. It's pretty much just a big wall of noise. Um, and then he also had some pretty uh, choice uh, words for the setup at Hazeltine. Quote, you could, uh, the setup of the golf course was just ridiculous. Uh, you, you could hit it anywhere. Um, and inciting Phil Mickelson as an, as an example, uh, Peters added, quote, he was sometimes hitting it like, six fairways left or right but was still able to get it on the green and then make a 40-footer. Uh, I didn't think that was a great Ryder Cup setup, to be honest. Thomas Peters, uh, honestly, not wrong <laughs> on any of those points that he mentioned. Um, you know, I I do recall those crowds at, 2000, at the Ryder Cup in 2016 being pretty loud um, and not in a great way. You know, I, I certainly don't want to be a stodgy old man, but it's like, dude, just, just from pure respect level, it seemed like everybody was just absurdly fucked up and uh, probably making for, you know, making for an event where the, you certainly want the noise and you want the enthusiasm and the excitement um, at a Ryder Cup. But uh, hopefully uh, the crowd at this year's tournament in France will uh, be just as loud and just as, you know, wild, uh, but hopefully a little less obnoxious. 
than the crowd that was up at Hazeltine in 2016. And so that's what I got for you as we uh, kind of preview the teams for the 2018 Ryder Cup. The last professional, you know, men's professional note that I have for you today is uh, if any of you guys out there are at all dialed in on uh, social media when it comes to golf, you no doubt have heard or read or seen that the great Paulina Gretzky, son, <laughs> son, uh, daughter of the great one, uh, Mr. Wayne Gretzky himself and fiance to Dustin Johnson since 2013, deleted every single picture of Dustin Johnson on her famed Instagram account where it is now pretty much just pictures of her in bathing suits. Um, most straight red-blooded males probably don't have much of a problem with that. However, it is a little odd to see the father of um, both of her children and her fiancé just magically deleted uh, from her Instagram account. And Dustin Johnson, after uh, a day or two of speculation, did come out and make a statement via Twitter where he said, quote, Every relationship goes through its ups and downs, but most importantly, we love each other very much and are committed to being a family. Thank you for your love and support, end quote. Um, a very nice thing for Dustin Johnson to say. I hope things are okay with him and Paulina. Obviously, you know, for the sake of their children, I hope they uh, are able to work it out and stay together. I hope for Dustin Johnson's sake that he gets to keep sharing a bed with Paulina Gretzky. Uh, things could be worse. Uh, although, I, I got to come out and say it. It, it seems like very 14-year-old-ish of Paulina Gretzky to go through and delete all the pictures of Dustin Johnson of her Instagram account. That is... Uh, that is some amazingly uh, juvenile uh, maneuvering on her part. So uh, hopefully it all works out. But uh, as of right now, Justin and pardon, Justin, this Dustin and Justin thing, these top these top two golfers in the world, is going to break my brain eventually. Dustin Johnson and Paulina Gretzky. Uh, hopefully, let's keep our fingers crossed that things work out for those two. Uh, all right, one last item. Uh, this does kind of relate to professional golf, but it is. You know, only in the sense that it involves Augusta National, and that is that uh, the news broke earlier that NBC is set to broadcast the inaugural Augusta National Women's Amateur Tournament, which will be taking place the week before the Masters in 2019. So uh, Fred Ridley, the new chairman of Augusta National Golf Club, did announce last year that they would be debuting the Augusta National Women's Amateur Event, a basically what is meant to be the top amateur event um, for women's golf in the world, you know, probably hopefully on the same level, if not better than the U.S. Women's Amateur and all the other, you know, top national women's am events across the world. Um, it's going to be set. They're going to have three hours of live coverage on Saturday, which is going to be the final round of this tournament. It's going to be a 54 hole format on Wednesday and Thursday. The uh, participants in the Women's Amateur of Augusta National will be uh, playing 18 holes Wednesday, Thursday at the nearby, uh, I want to say Reynolds Lake Plantation course, something kind of like that. I, I've never actually been to Augusta, Georgia, so I, I sometimes I forget some of those names, but uh, they'll be playing two rounds Wednesday and Thursday. There will be a cut, and then the top players will then play a practice round at Augusta National on Friday, and the final round, which again will be broadcast by NBC, will be taking place on Saturday uh, the weekend before the Masters. So that is going to be really exciting. It'll be really, really fun to watch, um, you know, watch somebody other than, uh, you know, the guys playing the Masters um, taking on Augusta National. I mean, you could, 
I mean, shoot, you could have a couple of, you know, 27 handicap hacks playing Augusta National, and I'd probably watch it on TV just because the golf course, from an aesthetic standpoint, is just so wonderful and so beautiful, and it still remains as one of, you know, the most special places in the entire world, let alone in the world of golf. And so it'll be really, really fun to see a different type of player, um, and also from a different set of tees, uh, try to navigate around Augusta National Golf Club. So very cool. Uh, put that on your sports viewing calendar for the Saturday before the Masters, the Augusta National Women's Amateur. And now I've actually got some uh, a little bit of an update for all of you guys that uh, if you are a golfer in the San Francisco Bay Area and most notably the North Bay Area, uh, I do have a small update regarding Aetna Springs Golf Course. Uh, one of my favorite places to play golf in the entire world. That is not an exaggeration. The 3,000-yard, nine-hole course in the middle of nowhere in Napa County. Um, closed earlier this year. Um, it was only getting about 14,000 rounds per year, which, uh, if you're doing any math out there, is something like 14 rounds a day. Um, not enough to sustain the golf course, keep it in business. And then with the property... Uh, being sold, it wasn't sh- you know we weren't sure whether or not the new owners had any intention of reopening the golf course. Well, uh, according to our source, uh, whom we spoke with last week, he is saying he is more encouraged now that the golf course will ultimately reopen. Uh, when we asked him what the probability would be, he said almost fifty percent. So it's still less than a fifty percent chance that uh, Etna Springs will reopen again. However, Uh, When we last touched base on this topic, you know, a couple of months ago, the percentage chance that it was going to open back up was somewhere more around the 10 to 20 percent. So this certainly seems to be trending in the right direction. And uh, it's not only going to be a win for everybody in the Bay Area if Enna Springs does open back up again, but it's also going to be uh, a win for golf at large. You know, the Tom Doak design nine hole course uh, certainly um, is one of the best nine hole golf courses in the country. Uh, I'm not being biased. The last time that uh, Golf Digest did a ranking of the top nine-hole golf courses in America, I believe Aetna Springs was ranked three or four. Um, And so it it really is just an unbelievable treat, a fantastic, really fun golf course in an utterly spectacular location, Uh, now with roughly a 40% chance of reopening at some point in the near future. So uh, as I hear or get more information regarding Aetna, I will certainly be sure to pass that along to you. Uh, and then lastly, um, <laughs> which this is uh, pretty great. So uh, I, I stumbled uh, this morning across an article on GolfDigest.com. Uh, actually, no, it's not on GolfDigest. What the, what the hell am I talking about? On Golf.com. I, I'm, I'm having a really tough day. I'm getting all these, uh, these names that are basically the same, confused with one another. Um, Josh Sens of Golf.com. Uh, put an article together uh, highlighting the 11 reasons why you aren't getting any better at golf but should still have hope. And uh, I thought it was really interesting, and I wanted to kind of just go through the 11 uh, items on here real quick as uh, just kind of a little public service announcement to all of you that if you're wondering how you can improve at golf, I'd like to see how many of these 11 things apply to you. Um, He gives 11 reasons why you're not improving your golf game uh, I am guilty of four of the eleven. Now, if you are guilty then more than f- of more than four, um, I would say 
that it shouldn't be that hard for you to kind of knock a couple strokes off your handicap going forward. Um, so let's just go through the list here real quick. I'll have a little commentary uh, on each one of these, and then uh, afterwards we'll put a wrap on the podcast and uh, and get going, you know, move on with our lives, so to speak. So uh, first one, you never practice. Um, yeah, I mean, come on. Like how many golfers actually practice uh a substantial amount or practice as much as you should for <laughs> to, to improve. I mean, that whole 10,000 hour rule thing. Um, yeah. As, as uh, Josh puts in his article, your 10 minutes once a month, isn't going to get you there. Um, you know, practicing is really, really important for improving. Uh, that certainly includes getting lessons, but even if you're not getting lessons, just going out and practicing uh, is something that we don't do enough. And that I am absolutely guilty. My, my whole thing is that, I, I happen to find practice to be incredibly boring. <laughs> I, I would rather go out and actually play golf uh, 10 out of 10 times. So if I have two or three hours to kill and go to the golf course, you can bet your ass I'm always going to go play nine holes instead of going and banging a couple hundred balls and working on my game a little bit. So that's the first one. Um, number two, the way that you practice, if you are practicing, is completely unproductive, which means, you know, like going to the driver range and just, you know, smacking drivers for two straight hours. Uh, you know, it, it's not going to get you really anything except a lot of back pain. Um, so when you actually go to practice, make sure you're doing so in a productive matter. Um, one of the teaching professionals that go, or that Josh uh, solicited for this article is a uh, golf magazine top 100 instru- uh, instructor, John Tattersall. And uh, John, you know, says, quote, go to the range to get better at one thing, whether it be posture, for example. Uh, once you've spent 30 minutes working on that and incorporating it into your swing, leave the range. And uh, that is one thing that I've actually, in the few times that I do go practice, I found is actually really, really important. And that is hitting balls for the sake of hitting balls rarely actually does your game any good. As soon as you start to feel your body starting to get fatigued and you find yourself maybe doing something a little different to compensate for maybe something that's a little sore or you're just getting a little tired, Give those golf balls to somebody else, all right? I mean, going through and practicing a suboptimal golf swing is completely counterproductive. Uh, and so make sure that when you do practice, you are doing so productively. Uh, number three on their list, your equipment isn't optimized. Uh, and Tattersall says that includes your golf ball, who recommends getting the entire arsenal checked at least once a year. You know, true, Um but, um, you know, if you don't work in the golf pro- in the golf world or you're not making a healthy six-figure income, optimizing your equipment every single year, I think, is a little overboard. It sounds like it would be a little costly. I certainly think if you can, you definitely should try to optimize uh, your equipment and your balls and everything like that maybe, you know, once every couple of years. Like every three to five years should be perfectly fine. As I've said on this podcast many, many times, I feel like technology moves in like seven to ten year intervals. So if you have any clubs that have been made within the last five to seven years, they're probably only maybe a couple percentage points difference in terms of performance than the brand new stuff. Uh, once you start talking ten plus years removed from your equipment uh, debuting, then it might be worthwhile to start checking out and getting that equipment, quote unquote, optimized. Um, so number four, you've got the wrong mix of clubs in your bag. Um. Yeah, this is a newsflash for all of you guys out there. Anybody who is carrying a two iron in their bag that has a handicap over five, um, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I mean, uh, like, it just there's so many times I, I see 
guys out there that I get paired up with whose handicaps are somewhere in the 25-plus range and they're carrying four wedges. I'm like, bro, do you really have any need for a 56 and a 60 and a 52? Like, and a, like no, 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 no. You need to be carrying seven hybrids in your bag. <laughs> seven hybrids, and your irons should probably start at a seven iron. You, you need as much help as you can possibly get. Uh, and, yeah, so anyway... Along the same lines of making sure equipment is optimized, make sure you've actually got the right mix of golf clubs in your golf bag. It does help a lot. Uh, for the longest time, I always carried a three iron. And then as you know, I turned like 28, I said, yeah, you know what? Don't need this anymore. All this thing is going to do is put me in crap that I don't want to be in, taking it out of the bag, and uh, my handicap uh, immediately lowered. So that was a, a good move. And uh, so just remember, you know, remember to have the right mix of clubs in your bag. Um, Number five, this is one that I'm guilty of. I don't track my stats. Um, you know, you could think you're a great putter or, you know, maybe your driver, you know, off the tee or a little so-so, but without actually knowing for sure, um, it's, a lot it's a lot more difficult to identify those parts of your game that actually need improvement. And, you know, so uh, whether you track your stats on your scorecard, which, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, on my scorecard, Every time I play, I track my fairways uh, in regulation, my greens in regulation, number of putts, and also the um, total distance of putts made. The only problem is I look at it at the end of the round, but I don't actually go and log those statistics in anywhere um, to, so, so I can track them. If I had a little bit more self-respect and I, I cared about myself a little bit more, I'd probably have some sort of uh, a spreadsheet back at home that I'm going to enter all my information into afterwards, um, which would be... Awesome. And that that's something that maybe, I mean, I don't know if it's possible or not, but it would be great if uh, the, the Gin Index system had like an optional field for you to record that kind of information. Um, I mean, certainly it wouldn't have any kind of an impact on your handicap, but since, you know, people like myself who do try to post every time, you know, every score that they keep, you know, honestly when they're out playing, um, since we're already kind of logging our scores in, w wouldn't it be awesome to just have some sort of an optional field where you could track those other stats as well, just so you would have it uh, written somewhere? Um, certainly there's other products and services like the Arcos Golf and all those you know tracking systems that actually do track your stats for you. Um, that's only an investment of a couple hundred dollars, and certainly it seems like it'd be worth it. I've never heard anything bad about those kinds of products. Uh, I've never tried them out myself, but uh, that would be an easier way to be tracking all those kinds of stats which is really good. Um, anyway, so let's move on to number six. They say you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> First of all, that does not apply to me. I am very aware that I suck huge amounts of balls at golf. Like, my handicap is in no way a reflection of how good I am at golf at this present time. As many of you know, I took a, a two-month hiatus. I came back, my golf swing was broken and abused, and so I'm slowly trying to work my way back down to, you know, competently, you know, shooting in the low 80s again, um, and, you know, when I was at the range yesterday, my driver is just a fucking mess. I'm having a really tough time deciding between uh, whether to keep the Callaway Rogue in my bag or to switch back to my uh, TaylorMade R9. It, it's really, really, really challenging, and I, d I don't know which one I'm going to do. So, anyway, I'm getting off topic. You're not as good as you think you are. Um, you know, you know, 20, what, 220 over water, it's not in your wheelhouse, but you always try it, yada, 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 come on. Just be realistic with what you know, what your skill set is when you're on the golf course, and you'll save yourself a lot of strokes. Um, number seven, they say you're too hard on yourself. Uh, that's the other thing is like because I know that I'm not very good at golf, I'm actually not too hard on myself. 
Approach shots from 150 yards, Tour Pros average 23 feet from the pin. Uh, but somehow a lot of really, really mediocre golfers put, you know, will hit the green and give themselves a 40-foot putt and they're going to be discouraged. You know, breathe. Just, just, just take a deep breath and breathe. If you just get it on the green from 150 yards out, you should be pretty, pretty okay with it. So, um, don't be too hard on yourself. Golf, golf is supposed to be fun. I, I've really started using this a lot lately when I have friends that I'm trying to get, uh, kind of get into golf. I used it a lot with my wife when she started picking up the game, and you know, it's it's a way that I have started to think about golf more that has really increased my enjoyment of the game. And that is, you know, it really, a lot of people aren't going to like me when I say this, but it's not really a sport. You know, I, I honestly don't think of golf as a sport so much as I think of it as a physical skill game. And all you're doing is you're going for a multiple hour walk in a beautiful, beautiful, pretty tightly manicured park, and you're playing a game while you go for a really nice walk with your friends. If you just think about it like that, it's it's difficult to be too hard on yourself. So keep that in mind next time you get pissed off that you put it 25 feet from 150 out and uh, just take a chill pill. Uh, number eight, I could not agree with number eight anymore, and that is you ride in a cart. You think you're saving energy, but what you're really doing is you're losing touch with the natural rhythms of the game. Uh, th- that was the quote from the article, but in, in all seriousness, I, I think walking uh, really does keep you in rhythm. You know, it keeps your blood flowing. Uh, allows you to stay a little bit more loose. Um, so whether you're using a push cart or you're carrying your bag, uh, if, if you have a chance to walk or you have the option to walk, assuming that you are not uh, physically handicapped, um, you should be doing that every single time. There's a reason that most of the game's top golf courses are walking-only establishments, and that's because walking is just a more enjoyable way to go out and play golf. Um, number nine, you might think there's a quick fix, all right? So I'll read this uh, one here. In a world filled with swing tips, you believe there's a magic one that will solve all of your problems. So you search and search, and you might as well be trying to track down Sasquatch. Tatterall says, quote, The tough news is it comes down to working on good principles long enough for them to become habits. This jumps back into number two, is that you've got to practice productively. And, uh, you know, if you are a 15 handicap, hey, if you want to become a single-digit golfer, getting those, you know, Five plus strokes off your game, it's going to take a lot of work. The entirety of my life, up until the last couple of years, I have always been somewhere between an 11 and 15 handicap. Nothing, nothing great by any stretch of the imagination. And it wasn't until I started getting a lesson every other week, practicing the way I was supposed to practice uh, for months and months on end that I was able to finally dip into those single digits. And it was hard. And the thing is, there was always a temptation to revert back to these little tricks that I would have to be able to kind of hit the ball okay when things aren't going well. But ultimately, those were the kinds of habits that got me stuck, not being able to go any lower to 11. And by taking the time to build in the better habits, that is what finally allowed me to get over the hump and start, you know, playing golf where I was, you know, breaking 80 uh, every once in a while instead of only once in a blue moon. So uh, the quick fix, let's play the long game here, all right? We could play the long game. There's no rush. Uh, unless, of course, you got a big tournament or a big cash game next week, in which case I hope you find the quick fix that you're looking for. Number 10, you don't hit it far enough. Oh, this applies to me. It's so perfect. I don't hit the ball very far. A lot of people don't hit the ball nearly as far as they think they do. I cannot tell you how many people I talk to who play golf like once or twice a year, and they casually mention how like they usually hit the ball like 280 to 290 off the tee, 
And there's always this little part of me that goes, you may have hit one that far, and it was probably two fairways off your aiming point. Like, most of us don't hit it far enough. And uh, a good way to get better is to swing the club, you know, faster, hit the ball longer, and any good coach can correct crooked. Uh, getting the ball to go farther is a tough task. I'm sorry, th- that was a quote from uh, Mr. Tattersall, but, but long story short, it's really difficult to hit the ball farther. You know, trying to swing faster is usually just going to make your golf shot more errant. Um, you know, and without hitting the ball really, really far, it's tough to score on a lot of these golf courses that are now 7,000 plus yards. So last one, number 11, the final reason why you aren't getting any better at golf, but should still have hope. And that is you focus more on words than feel. And uh, to quote the article, it says, you've gotten a lot of verbal instruction, but words don't translate as well to performance. Pay more attention to images and feels. It will free up your mind and your swing. End quote. Um, I guess. I mean, I, I don't... I, there's a lot of guys out there who, if they have swing thoughts, they're very mechanical. Um, and I think that would probably be what they're referring to as words. They're thinking of, you know, explanations of how to, like, change, you know, your uh, your physics of your golf swing. But just, you know, just feel the ball. Send it home. All right? Play, play off feel, and you will be good to go. Uh, and again, if you want to read this article in more detail, I encourage you to go to golf.com and read Josh Sens' article on Hang In There. Here are 11 reasons why you aren't getting any better at golf. I uh, thought it was really interesting and worth sharing on the podcast this week, and that is about it. Uh, no PGA Tour event this weekend. we got a week off before we go to the Tour Championship and the Ryder Cup later this fall, um, which means th- this weekend, you know, especially in Northern California, uh, assuming that half the state isn't going to be on fire by then, uh, it, it, there couldn't be a more perfect time of year or a perfect weekend to go out and play some golf. So I hope you guys do so. If you are going to be playing golf this weekend, don't forget to visit golfguide.net um, where you can save up to 70% on greens fees uh, for dozens of golf courses around Northern California as well as Southern Oregon and uh, the Reno Tahoe area of Nevada as well. And uh, when you do that, you can also use that promo code GGPODCAST, and that's actually going to save you an additional 10% on any purchase that you make of $25 or more. And then, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, this episode was presented by Golf Guide Magazine, which will be expanding to the states of Washington and Hawaii in 2019. And we are actually going to be rebranding the magazine into the Pacific Coast Golf Guide, as it now will be covering every single state in the U.S., that borders the Pacific Ocean along with Nevada as well. So be on the lookout for that. If you have any questions regarding Golf Guide Magazine, you can visit golfguide.net or uh, you can email me directly with any questions you might have, kyle at golfguide.net. That's pretty much it, everybody. I hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the golf course. uh, And I will be back with all of you next week. Mahalo. (laughs) 